Hello, this is Julia, and murder is bad. left the Botham Miracle Murders case, the husband of one of the victims, Kenneth Botham Jr., had been arrested for the murders of his wife, Patricia Botham, their neighbor, Linda Miracle, and her two children, Troy and Chad Miracle. His defense team from the public defender's office had filed a million motions and requests for mistrials, all of which had been denied. And now we're right in the middle of the prosecution presenting their evidence against him. For more details, feel free to go and listen to the other episodes in this series titled Pat and the Miracles. A case that started in the summer of 1975 has made its way to the winter of 1976. The first Rocky has just been released, as well as the original Freaky Friday with Jodie Foster and also Shaggy DA, where a man wanting to become a district attorney finds himself turning into a sheepdog. Look it up. Disney got weird. This is also the time of Rod Stewart, Boston, and Stevie Wonder. And speaking of Wonder, Wonder Woman, starring Linda Carter, debuted on ABC. Back in the courtroom in Grand Junction, Colorado, the prosecution continues to present evidence and witnesses to bolster their case for four counts of first-degree murder. Your neighbor, Michael Larson, gets on the stand and tells the jury about hearing two screams he heard around 1.30 a.m., on August 23rd. He also saw a light on in the front bedroom of the Botham's home. He said the second scream, quote, sounded more like a lady's voice. Another neighbor, Cora Heiner, testified about what she had seen and heard on the night of August 22nd into August 23rd. The Botham St. Bernard barking and two sharp pops that sound like gunshots coming from across the street. She adds that she saw a men's head bending down looking at the floor in the Miracle Home. Someone then backed up a car to the porch and carried out a heavy bundle. She said the man had glasses. The defense cross-examines Cora about cataract and glaucoma surgeries that occurred immediately after this incident. She was asked to identify Botham, her neighbor, and pointed to Captain Joe Hicks instead. The defense moves to disqualify Cora as an eyewitness And when that is denied, they move for a mistrial, which is also denied. Investigator Mike Smith returns to the stand to talk about Botham's 22 caliber Western-style pistol. When officers were searching the Botham's house in Uray Avenue, they noticed vents indicating some type of crawl space. Botham said that the only entrance had been sealed off, showing a spot in the back of the house that had boards nailed over it. The owners of the house, John and Steve Brandt, testified... John said that Botham knew about the crawl space and how to get in there. John had told him about it when the family moved in because there had been problems with the furnace and wanted Botham to be able to oil it. I am so inept. Uh, how does a furnace work and why do you need to oil it? That's all I have to say. So <laughs> Steve testified about how he had found the twenty two caliber pistol in the crawl space after doing work down there a couple times. Some insulation had come loose from a joist in the house, and once it fell, out tumbled the pistol. Investigator Milo Vig then testified to the events that had taken place in the early morning hours of June 15th. 
This is when Linda Miracle had been attacked by an unidentified man. Botham told investigator Vig that he had heard two screams about 10 minutes apart, turned on his porch light, and saw Linda in her doorway fainting. He gave her mouth-to-mouth before calling the rescue squad. Rescue squad, I just, I kept reading this, and that's just a fun name. Because it's not 911, right? Or is that what they used to call 911? I don't know. Linda was said to have been strangled in that incident, which led to an objection and a defense motion for a mistrial. Denied, of course. Investigator Vig continued his testimony the next day. He told the jury how Botham said he had wire in his shed, but couldn't find it. Botham had told Investigator Vig that Pat had tied up some sunflowers in the back and used the wire cutters, and she had left the rest of the wire and the cutters by the shed. But officers had not found any extra wire and had found the wire cutters in Botham's Land Cruiser. Next-door neighbor, Floyd Larson, testified that he walked his dog past Botham's backyard twice a day and had never seen the sunflowers tied up. He even noticed after a heavy rain that the sunflowers had slumped over. So the way this house is set up, I don't know if you have neighborhoods like this where you're at, but there's like an alleyway behind the house and that abuts the backs of other houses from the street over. So that's where he walked his dog. So the house across that alley behind the Botham's home belonged to Joan Ritter, who also told the jury that she gardened outside and would talk with Pat occasionally. Joan had told Pat she needed to stake her sunflowers, but three weeks later, Pat was gone without ever having tied them up. On the last day of the prosecution's arguments, forensic serologist Marion Kamen testified. Serology is the study of blood serum, particularly in regard to immune responses to pathogens or introduced substances. Basically, Pat, Linda, and Troy all had A-type blood, and A-type blood was found on a mat in Botham's Land Cruiser. Chad, Ken Botham, and some of Botham's immediate family had O-type blood, but the only other blood type the serologist found was C-type on some rags Botham had. So I'd never heard of C-type blood, so I looked into it. But I'm still confused. Maybe you can help me. So in 1901, we start typing blood, A, B, and C. Later on, sometime after 1930, we switch to calling C-type blood to O-type blood. So what the heck is Marion Kamen talking about? I have no answers for you. But Colorado Bureau of Investigations, or Kibbe, Agent Cordell Brown then testified that three out of the eight ends of the wires binding the bodies were confirmed to be cut with the wire cutters from Botham's car. Those cutters had one tapered edge and one flat. It also had some identifying striations and a chip that showed up as an imprint on the cut wires. Also, any reason for me to say the word striation? I'm there for it. The wire ends also had some oxidation, implying they may have been cut sometime before being used, leading one to believe maybe sunflowers were tied up with it weeks ago, and that's the wire that was used. That's what defense tries to lead you to. There was also material found in the wire cutters that had the same origins and chemical composition as material found on the wires around the bodies. Kibbe agent Gerald Tesh then told the jury about a conversation he had with Ken Botham. Here's part of the transcript. Did you shoot the boys? What is the reason? Why can't you tell me? 
If I told you, what would happen to my boys? Your boys will be well taken care of, but I would have to go to jail. You do not confess your sins to any man, only to God. And when KB agent Tesh asked him how he knew what the victims had been tied with, Ken said, quote, I knew it was wire affixed to the bodies because I heard it on the news in the pelvic area. Very specific, very sus. All right. Agent Tesh said, Botham said he had never seriously considered killing his wife, but has speculated how it would be if she might leave. I don't know if you've seen those like really bad police uh, like confession tapes where they're just like, oh no, okay, but just guess. If you had to guess what the killer would do, what do you think the killer did? If you were the killer, what would you do? And they eventually get someone to say something like this. So when Agent Tesh asked Botham to speculate how he would kill Pat, Botham said, by pushing her over a cliff with the camera equipment sitting around. Agent Tesh also said that Botham seemed overly concerned about the police's interest in the wire cutters, whatever that means. He said he probably used them in the spring at the office and said they were old and probably should have been thrown away and were only used in an emergency and vaguely remembered using them to cut copper. Botham also told Agent Tash that they might find his blood, his family's blood, and or Linda's blood from an incident a year ago. Quote, I cleaned it up. Wow. Rich text. Before the prosecution rested, a man named Steve Norris testified. He had spent the summer of 75 in Ure. One night, a night he can't remember as August 23rd or August 30th, or maybe it was the weekend before, he met a man who matched Botham's description outside the Long Branch Bar. He also remembers seeing a blue and white Toyota around that weekend. The man asked if he knew of a dark room where he could get pictures developed, and Steve said no. Quote, he stood there looking at me. I got uncomfortable and started to leave. I noticed him turn around and go away. Cool. When the defense opens the next day, the first witness they call is Ken Botham Jr., the man himself. Now, I usually hear that it's a bad idea to testify during your own trial, but let's see how it goes for Botham. He starts by saying he talked to a man on the night of August 22nd in Uray between 11 p.m. and midnight, but Botham said he didn't recognize Steve Norris as that man. He goes on to talk about when he left for Uray. His voice cracked when he said that his wife, Pat, had asked to go with him at the last minute. Quote, I told her I didn't have time. I was running very late and I didn't have time for her to get ready. That day, Botham had gone to work and came home for dinner as usual. Then he left for his photography trip, making a stop by White Arms Machine Shop for a photo assignment. He said the weather was bad, so he went to Uray instead of continuing on. He walked into Uray that night, sometimes he said he jogged, and met a man between the Long Branch Bar and the photo shop. He was squatting and staring into the photo place that was closed. He said, I felt my actions were probably suspicious. When he talked to the man, he got directed to Joyce Jorgensen, the editor of the Uray Plain Dealer. When he got back to his room, it was nearer to midnight than 11. In the morning, Botham went to Yankee Boy Basin and then to Imogene. The weather wasn't great for pictures, so he only stayed until 1 p.m. before he left for home. 
pulling up to his house, he saw his toddler playing outside with a diaper, and his five-year-old asked him where mommy was. Botham said, I'm sure she's around somewhere. His kid said she hadn't been around all day, so he had taken care of his brother and wanted to know if he had done a good job. Heartbreaking. Botham checked the house and then checked the Miracle's home across the street before calling the police. Botham then told the jury about his marriage to Pat. They had marital difficulties ever since they moved to Colorado from California in 1971. He said they had, quote, lost their physical and emotional intimacy. We continually became more distant. I made more money. The job took more time. I guess I felt I could make it up to her later. Botham started to see other women, naturally. And in 1974, the couple separated. Pat went to live with her parents in North Carolina. She had known about the other woman before she left, and Botham sent her a letter about divorcing after talking to his lawyer. Instead of divorcing, though, Pat returned to Colorado shortly after. And then Pat had an abortion, and Botham thought, hey, I'm going to start seeing women again. He started with Marie Griffin. Quote, Marie was one of the few women in my life I ever felt totally comfortable with. Whatever I did, she seemed to enjoy. I loved her very much. When Marie Griffin, now Marie Griffin Hernandez, testified, she confirmed having modeled for Botham for almost a year before starting up an affair with him. She has since married a former deputy sheriff and moved to Carson City, Nevada. In the spring of 1975, Botham was asked to be the leader of the church choir at Faith Baptist Church. According to him, Pat questioned the church work he was doing in relation to what he was doing with women outside their marriage. He stopped philandering when he accepted the position in March. In total, Botham testified for six hours. At one point, he was asked, did you kill those people? He answered, I did not. Then, did you ever tell anybody you killed them? He replied, I never have, nor have I implied it. I'd certainly have gone the mental route a long time ago if I had. What is it? Not guilty by reason of insanity. I'd not take a chance on the gas chamber. I'm telling the court and the jury I did not do those things. But then he goes on to say that he has only lied in three areas of the case. Not a great way to start, but go ahead. He had lied about his wife having had a recent abortion. Quote, I felt it was no one's business. I didn't feel it could change the story. Reasonable, I think. He lied about his 22 caliber pistol because he was under the impression that it was a stolen gun. He had purchased it for 30 bucks from a man at Stevens Sports Goods. And on cross, he was confronted on this point because he had also bought a junior Colt 22 from the same man. But it came back clean when the police had taken his guns the year before. He didn't have an answer for that, only to say he thought the police only took the guns as a ploy to shape him up. Botham was then asked about Linda Miracle. He said, I felt her inane, but not boisterous or forward, or anything of that nature. She spoke in short, choppy sentences and giggles. She smoked incessantly. She often smelled of alcohol. It bothered me. I could tell if she'd used our telephone that day from the smell of cigarettes and so on. Ugh. Very judgmental. When testifying about the wire found wrapped around the bodies, Botham said, I think there's an awfully good chance it's my wire. 
He said it had been cut to tie the sunflowers, but had been removed and placed on the lattice fence. He hadn't seen it since then. President of TriStar Corp., where Botham had been the VP, testified along with several other co-workers that the police had told them about the bodies being wrapped in wire, and that had become a topic of discussion. One of the men who discovered the bodies had also told his wife about the wire. All these testimonies were just to show that there were other ways for Botham to have known about the wire besides being the one who put it there. He then explains the type O blood in his car with his frequent nosebleeds and a cut on his knuckles from a broken hinge in the back. As for an explanation for the type A blood, he said, I have no concrete explanation. Haven't the foggiest, dear. By the end of Botham's testimony, it is clear that the prosecution is saying the murders happened in the early morning hours of August 23rd, and the defense is saying that they happened before midnight on August 22nd. Investigator Bob Silva of the Bobs testified about when he and former Deputy Sheriff Truman Haley were called to the hospital after Linda Miracle was attacked in her home by an unknown assailant. Investigator Silva said he talked to her for less than a minute, but Truman Haley talked to her between five and ten minutes alone. The next day, Truman Haley testifies. He admits having an affair with Linda. He says it ended in March. And he also volunteers he had a vasectomy 13 years ago. Maybe to remove doubt he had ever gotten Linda pregnant. He just kind of says it. He also denies knowing about Linda's abortion days before her murder. He went on to detail his whereabouts on the night of August 22nd. He testified that he was with his family until 5 p.m. and checked in to the Fruta Police Department around midnight. He drove with his partner, Chuck McFall. That's an excellent police name, by the way. He drove with Chuck McFall from midnight to 4 a.m. He was alone between 4 and 5.30 a.m., Okay, until another officer took over and Truman Haley clocked out at 6 a.m. Truman Haley also admits going into Linda's house in June and taking her diary. He said he kept it three to four weeks, thought about giving it back, but instead burned it and threw it in a river near Fruta. Quote, thrown in the river like the bodies? Questioned defense attorney Lee Foreman. Truman Haley responded, I have no way to know how they were thrown in the river. Did you kill Linda and the kids? I'd never hurt her children or anybody else. After Truman Haley testified, the jury was dismissed for lunch, but it seems that reporters were still in the courtroom because it was reported that D.A. Farina talked to Judge Ella about how Truman Haley had taken two polygraph tests and had been exonerated. Polygraphs aren't admissible. It was just a fun little tete-a-tete between judge and prosecution. After the break, Paulino Dell testifies to seeing Botham unloading his photography equipment and Botham's car around 8.30 at Polly's Motel. I don't know why I said it like that. Polly's Motel. Harold R. King saw Botham talking to the proprietor around 9.30 that night as well. For the record, it takes around two hours to get from Uray to Grand Junction. The next day, the defense gets Arapahoe County Coroner Dr. John Wood to testify. He said that based on the stomach contents, Linda, Chad, and Troy died between one and two hours after eating, and Pat died two to three hours after eating. Now, Dr. Wood did not examine the bodies, but looked at 
the forensic pathologist Dr. Thomas Canfield's raw data. He also testified to having found bean peas and meat in Pat's stomach, and apparently she had been making and eating cookies at 9 p.m. Hashtag relatable. For closing arguments, the DA spends his time pointing out inconsistencies throughout testimony and interviews, as well as the difference in the time the prosecution thinks the murders happened and the time the defense thinks the murders happened. Attorney Foreman points out that Pat had been reading when she was attacked, putting her murder much earlier than what the prosecution has posited. He also told the jury how Linda's bed hadn't been slept in. There's also talk about how Botham would have to unload his camera equipment in order to fit the four bodies in his truck and how suspicious that would seem in the middle of the night. Defense attorney Foreman finished by saying that Botham would have done a better job making an alibi than that. He finished by saying, People don't kill to terminate a relationship. The jury left to deliberate, but had to stop when it got too late. They reconvened the next morning. When they re-entered the court, Botham stood still, his parents were still, and the Miracle family were still as Kenneth Botham Jr. was found guilty of one count of first-degree murder and three counts of second-degree murder. Trigger warning. Sometime that night, Botham attempted suicide and was admitted to St. Mary's Hospital. Deputy D.A. Clay Hanlon visited him and later told the press that Botham was in shock and quivering like a leaf, but he was in good condition. I don't know how those two things coincide, but that's what he said. Botham had lost four to five units of blood. Humans usually have like 12 units of blood. While Botham is in the hospital, hearings about his sanity and sentencing take place. Denver Veterans Administration's psychiatrist, Dr. Frederick Miller, said, Botham's capacity to appreciate and control his behavior at that time was significantly impaired because of inner duress. He went on to say that Botham is obsessive-compulsive who tends to isolate emotion and to not show warmth, and that in his professional opinion, Botham is and has been very troubled and sick. Quote, I believe he was furiously hurt and humiliated and felt he had been wronged by her. He borders on psychotic depression and may indeed have been psychotic. A crazy thing to me is how in some trials, a defendant works really hard to prove their innocence, but if they're found guilty, the defense team has to turn around and say that the reasons for the crime are not aggravating, as if the defendant had done it. Just a weird thing I've noticed. A professor of psychiatry from Colorado University Medical Center, or CUMC, Dr. John McDonald, said Botham had an obsessive personality and yet certain traits that usually occur in sociopaths. To show Botham's obsession with orderliness, thoroughness, and concern over small details, his suicide note was admitted as evidence. It had a notation to the mortician about his vital organs gave the telephone numbers of people to call, and listed his social security and selective service numbers, and showed concern for making a mess in his cell. Dr. McDonald said, Botham covers a lie with another lie with another lie, and tries to look better in everyone's eyes, and makes all manner of boastful claims. 
I am never quite sure when he is telling the truth and when he is not telling the truth. Botham's mother, Elspeth Botham, testified that her son was a bookworm who had very limited social activities as a youth and not really any close friends. She told an anecdote about when she was giving birth to her daughter eight years prior. Her son disappeared and ended up giving blood because he was afraid his mother was too old to give birth and might bleed to death. On December 15, 1976, Ken Botham Jr. was sentenced to death. Elspeth said, I don't know how they reached the verdict they did to begin with. His father, Ken Botham Sr., said, It's over and done now. And Linda's mother, Dolly Baldwin, said, We're satisfied. I don't know what else to say. Reverend Holler told reporters a couple weeks later, I have yet to have anyone satisfy my curiosity that they could prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Kenny did it. I thought they would have some ace they could pull out of the hole, but they never did. To me, it wasn't a trial of justice. It was a trial of vindication. And while that seems like the end of things, it's really not. But this is where we'll leave it for today. Thank you for listening. If you would like to see pictures related to this case, head over to the Instagram at Murder is Bad Podcast. And if you're feeling more generous, why don't you go over to wherever you're listening, subscribe so you don't miss out, and also leave a little review, maybe a little five stars. All right, take care of each other, and remember, murder is bad. <laughs>